Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings, but this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Kate Doyle is the author of I Meant It Once. Kate's short stories have been published in No Tokens, Electric Literature, A Public Space, Split Lip, Wigleaf, and other publications. Originally from New England, she is a former bookseller and a 2021 A Public Space Writing Fellow. She has lived in New York City, Amsterdam, and Ithaca, New York. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your short story collection, I Meant It Once. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, and I'm also really excited you'll be doing an event at Zibby's Bookshop on August 22nd. Really excited. Uh, without shame, my, I love, love, love her work. So that'll be, yes. yeah, I'm really excited. She's awesome. I'm sorry I won't be out there then, but I'll watch on live stream and everything. So fun. <laughs> so tell listeners about the collection. So exciting. Yeah. Tell, tell us every everything there is to know. Why did you write a short story collection? When did you start writing? What is this about? Why should people read it? Just go ahead. Yeah. I Meant It Once is a collection of stories about being a mess in your 20s and also more universally about time and memory and um, the ways we live with past versions of ourselves, past versions of other people. There are some sibling relationships in several of the stories. Um, dynamics are, you know, the younger versions of ourselves sort of color the present and the present makes us reconsider the past. And I've been, I started writing, I didn't really know I was writing a short story collection at first. I was writing individual stories and um, just trying to figure out how to do that. And at a certain point, I realized some of the themes they had in common. And that's when I sort of consciously started gathering them together in, into a book. And I love that I love what the story collection as a forum can do in terms of um, giving a reader an experience that's different than following a plot through a whole novel, but giving kind of different ways of looking at the same thing through multiple lenses, multiple characters, and the way the stories can then kind of complicate each other or echo each other and uh, yeah, so I'm a big fan of the form. <laughs> Amazing. 
actually interviewed Tessa Hadley yesterday about her short story collection after the funeral. Have you read that? Yeah, but I love her. Yeah. Um, you two should be in conversation too at some point. She's, I mean, she's such a pro. She's been doing this forever. And she was saying she uses stories as like almost interstitials, you know, between her novel writing and to take a break, she'll write a short story, which <laughs> I know. I know. Like I'm still learning how to do the novel thing. So um, I'll aspire to that. <laughs> She's been doing this for a long time though. So yeah. rest assured. So where did your interest in writing come from? When did it start? I always, I think since I was a little kid, like kind of worked things out a bit through writing. I have a lot of memories of, yeah, like writing as a way to process a some period of life in one way or another. And which in many ways, I think is what these stories ended up being about is like the ways there's a lot of I, there's like an idea of the short story or a story in general as having always having a resolution or a transformation occurs, a change occurs, um, that that's the occasion for telling the story. But these are a lot about stories we tell because we haven't figured them out or we don't have resolution on them. And, you know, we're telling them to ourselves to try to understand why something. So a lot of these characters have a memory that's really like they're kind of stuck on it and they're driving themselves crazy because I don't really want to think about this, but it keeps coming back to me. And they keep trying to figure out why. And then in my 20s, I was writing, I, I kind of like went to a writing program partly because I kind of felt like I needed structure in my life. And I was, you know, I had sort of come out of the period of being in my, you know, being in college and like being very structured. And I was, you know, I was like working in a restaurant. I couldn't get a, I couldn't like, I, I kept sort of trying to find a, a job that would feel more like a life path than what I was doing. And it wasn't happening. And so I thought, well, I'll go to, I'll go to school for writing. I'll be in school. I love school. And, uh, and that, you know, not everyone needs to go just to, to a graduate program by any means to do this. But for me, it was really to be around a lot of other writers. It just, we were all trying to do the same thing was just such a uplifting experience of, and I, and very motivating to really dig into getting really serious about this. And, and then when that program finished, I just kept, I similarly kept sort of nothing else, nothing else was sort of landing as I had, a, I worked at a, I was a receptionist at a meditation studio and I had this like terrible temp job at a hedge fund. And, and I just, the book was the thing that had a lot of, kept feeling like it had a lot of, it gave me more, it had a lot of meaning in it for me. And so I just, um, I'm a slow writer, but over many years, I just kept picking it up and working on it. And now there's a book. Yes. <laughs> Wow. When did you know it was done? Like, when did you decide, okay, I have enough stories, I'm going to take this out. And then what was that whole path like for you? I, I write slowly. And so I, I, I do think of certain, like kind of when the moment when I was like, when can I look for an agent was kind of like, I had done a little like Googling of like, what, what's like a good length for story collection. As soon as I was kind of in striking range of that, I was like, okay, okay. I think, uh, I think I can try to do this. And I had a wonderful writing group of all women at the time I lived in New York. And so I, I gave them the draft I had at that point and just ask them to like, tell me if they thought it was, you know, time to do that. And they said, yes. And so I queried, I got my agent by like cold querying. And then we, we started working together at the beginning of 2020. So that was like a complicated time to be trying to go on submission with, with stories. And, um, and of course, like there is this idea in publishing that short stories are hard and that readers don't want them in the same way they want a novel. So you're sort of up against that too. So it was quite a, long sometimes fraught process of trying to find the right the right home for this book and it I was just telling the story in an event last night but my editor Betsy at Algonquin she and I had a phone call and the phone call is sort of is sort of like a you know you kind of you know this but you sort of mutually interview each other a little bit and then they kind of decide if they think they want to move forward or not and I thought I thought to myself well this is about to be over one way or another like it's her or it's not it's you know a big reassessment needs to happen and so I thought either way I'm I'll know in a day or two and then like she waited six more weeks and and so I went during that time, the New York Times ran a recipe for a cake called Ghetto Helen, Helen cake. And 
Helen is this character that recurs in the stories. So um, I went out and bought all the ingredients for that cake. And I said to myself, I'm just going to put them in the cupboard and it's going to work out. <laughs> and I'm going to bake that cake on the day that it happens. And now I know that Betsy's a baker. So I think that's why my magic spell worked. <laughs> If you will, it it will come, something like that. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So did you, how did the cake turn out? It's delicious. It was great. It was great. I just did it again for to celebrate the book launch. Oh, <laughs> so exciting. And tell me about like planning your tour and how you found that and which authors you decided to be with. I know there were many I saw that have been on the podcast, like Jennifer Saffron Kelly, End Papers. It was great and more. So tell me about that and who you're touring with and, and about the writer community in general. And I know you said it was great in your writing group, but how you found sort of other more established writers welcoming in a newbie writer and that whole thing. Um, yeah, I mean, the the fact that I that it did take me many, many years to to write this book, I think lent itself to that. I had writing teachers and I would sometimes go to like a writing conference. I went to Ten House. So you kind of always like just meeting people and and you meet such, I, I think I've just experienced meeting so many kindred spirits through writing. It's felt very, people stay in touch and support each other. And in the case of Jen Saverin Kelly, we hadn't met, but we were both living in the same town and it just happened that our book sold to Algonquin like within a few months of each other. So that kind of felt like fate. And it's been really, that's been really great getting to know Jen. And with the tour, so I live in Amsterdam now um, because of my partner's work and we were so like coming back for a wedding at the beginning of summer, wedding at the end of the summer. We kind of thought it doesn't make sense to fly back and forth a lot. And I just was like, you know, let's just like travel to every friend or family member we can and just like try to do events at bookshops in between. And so, you know, everywhere I'm going is somewhere where I have friends or family or a little bit of a community. And some of the writers, I was last night, I did an event with Lynn Stager Strong. Yeah, she was also on my podcast. That one was a case where like <laughs> some of them are people that I knew. And my other event in LA is with Tess Gunty, who actually was in that writing group that I was just talking about. No way. Uh, she won the National Book Award. That's so exciting. Oh yeah. But yeah, in the case of Lynn, I mean, it was so, so amazing. Like I read that, I read her book Want in like the summer of 2020. And she had done this interview in electric literature a few months before. And it was how I heard about her. And she was just talking about friendships between young women. And I, I write, have several stories in the book about that. It's like, very interesting to me as a theme. And her thinking about it was so so smart and interesting and moving. And so I like eagerly awaited that book and I read it and I loved it. And when we were sort of starting to do like looking for blurbs for the book, it just happened that my agent knew her agent. And I didn't even know at that point that she lives in Maine now, which is where my family's from. So I always knew I was going to. So anyway, a few months ago, I got to like, you know, not everybody would say yes to like reading it and doing a blurb and she did. And then a few months ago, we got to, so I met her for the first time a few months ago, we took a beach walk and that was really fun. And so last night doing an event with her was like, I was just like thinking about me three summers ago, not knowing this would ever be a book and just reading her book and loving it. And <laughs> she I was like, you have to tell me you're honored. And I was like, I'm not going to, I'm very honored. Oh, <laughs> I love that so much. And what about Brandon Taylor? He also blurbed. Yeah. Brandon Taylor several years ago, accepted a story of mine to electric literature. And then at the AWP conference in Philadelphia, like a year or so later, like I had been kind of, I was, I was kind of like, yeah, I, maybe I'll like, I know Brandon Taylor's doing an event. Like maybe I'll run into him at some point. Like we never even, all our communication had been through my agent. So I didn't know him, know him. And we all had our name tags on and he, he came up to me and was like, are you Kate Doyle? And I was like, well, it's just like the coolest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> really, really nice. And yeah, blurred the book and wrote me really wonderful verb. So he's been great as well. Yeah. I mean, all these people, it's amazing. Claire <laughs> as well. I don't know. I don't usually talk about blurbs, but Kevin Wilson. So yeah. cool. Darren Strauss. Oh my gosh. So cool. I mean, it's just amazing. Strauss so was my business advisor in grad school, actually. Oh, wow. That is great. The, the book way back when. Yeah. <laughs> 
my gosh. Well, let's talk about some of the stories. So tell me about, I figured we were doomed. I have not read all the stories I have to admit to you. Although I do love the format and how you have these short sections, which I really appreciate (laughs) As as a busy reader. So take me through that one or pick a story you want to talk about and, and how it came to be. Yeah. I'll tell you about, I figured we were doomed. That story I had been they usually come from a place of like something in my life and then they they change a lot, but that's usually kind of the jumping off point and then it becomes very much changed. But uh, I had my boyfriend's roommate, at the, had a my still boyfriend, but his roommate at the time, uh, had a dog and we like really connected, like the dog felt like our dog because we all like, we were living, we were all in this apartment all the time and we used to take the dog, like my boyfriend and I would like, if we were going on a trip... And we could bring the dog, we would bring the dog with us to get him out of the city and stuff. And then um, when they stopped living together and it was like, I just remember this feeling of like, oh, I had this like bond with the dog, but now I like never, it's sort of like having this funny feeling of like, in some way, someone would call this like not that important. And I can tell myself it's not that important, but I'm really like having this feeling of loss. And so the story ended up, so I started out just like trying to write about uh, someone's relationship with like with someone else's dog, basically. <laughs> um, and it ended up, you know, being about this couple and, and then all the memories that this character has of this time in her life that is now over. And the last line of the story is, anyway, it didn't work out. I think of it as almost like a door closing on, on those memories. And I think, you know, many of the stories in the book are like this, where it's kind of about something where you're preoccupied by it and you're telling yourself, I should sort of be over this. But I'm interested in like what happens when these characters let themselves obsess over the thing that obsesses them and what they what they find out from that, which some of them get more resolution than others are willing to face things more than others. In the case of this one, I don't think she really gets resolution. There's sort of, sort of dwells on this like sweet memory. And she talks a lot in the story about whether or not she thinks of herself as a good person, which comes up in a lot of the stories. But I think there's kind of a feeling of she's almost wondering, she's sort of dealing with missing this period of her life and this person by kind of saying like, oh, maybe I don't, maybe I didn't deserve it or something, I think is the, the subtext. Yeah. Wow. You should read, there's this personal essay by an author named Jane Ratcliffe. And it's all about this, how she was going through a really hard time with chronic pain and all this stuff in her own life. And her neighbors were like a young couple with a dog and kids and all that stuff. And she became the person to take care of the dog all the time. So for three years or something, it was essentially her dog, right? Like she took care of it all the time and the dog got her out of all this pain, right? It it like renewed her faith sort of in life and made her feel better and got her walking and all this stuff. And then the family ends up moving away and taking the dog. I know, it's like heartbreaking. The essay was so good. I guess it went viral somewhere or other. I don't know, that's how I found it on her Substack. But anyway, but I think of that a lot because you can, you can certainly love things that are transient in your lives, whether they're animals or people. I mean, it's like a, the whole friends that move away. And I mean, it's something that happens to kids. And no, it's good to, I mean... I would take away the it shouldn't make me upset thing, you know, because it is one of those things. Well, I think in a lot of the stories, I mean, and this has to do with like the fact that they're mostly narrated by young women. Like, I think there are things that these young women have been told about, like what what is important and what isn't and what's like a significant concern and what's not. And mm-hmm. and a lot of times they've sort of grown up feeling like their feelings aren't that important. So I think it's a lot about, yeah, the ways that they, you know, in the, in the first story, the narrator is given... She's like gifted a basket of heart-shaped scones as a breakup gift. And then found the, what do you call it? Cookie cutter, like in the drawer and obsessing with her friend, Tom. Oh my God, I loved it. Yeah. And like, she's like, you know, like what's more, I think her feeling is like, what's more innocuous than a basket of baked goods. They're literally shaped like hearts, but like, there's something about it that also like feels so bad to her. But people around her kind of keep being like, why do you keep talking about this? Like, can't you get over it? And then, and I think that applies like, 
a lot of things and like like the friendships between young women that are ending there's kind of an idea that i i i, I found myself thinking a lot about like if you're that age and you have like a romantic breakup like people or in any age of a romantic breakup people like expect you to grieve and in the case of a friendship especially i think with young women where there's this idea in your 20s that maybe it's like not your real life or something and and like you're not you're not, like real yet and they're like really sad to have lost this friend and there isn't like a space in our culture to grieve that the feeling that they're get, they're kind of gathering this idea of like just move on, just get over it, just get a different friend. So, and in the case of the scones, like she obsesses and she obsesses. And then at a certain point in the story, we realize that like years have gone by, yeah. and she's <laughs> but she's not totally wrong to obsess. Like, like she eventually realizes there's something in there in the memory about like being treated as disposable by a man. Mm-hmm. So much clearly is so much more comfortable in the world than she is or has been since then. And that she's also has seen this like repeat in a few different ways in her life. And that that's why the memory has stuck with her so much. said it in such a good way though, about why breakups and how this one was so funny when you said, I thought this was unkind and funny. Well, this is what you, when you were talking about the class, but anyway, but I said how it was not about loss, rather about humiliation, about being treated as disposable, about human decency, and also how it isn't fair to tell a person you're breaking up in those words precisely when you have not in fact really been dating. You have only done things like make out in the back stairwell of the literary society dorm, the stairwell where we kept the communal vacuum cleaner, a stairwell, he told me, no one ever uses, which did not even turn out to be true. Natalie from the third floor had appeared, descending on her way to make oatmeal cookies in the kitchen. I had been unable to disentangle my feet from the hose of the vacuum. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, there's when someone breaks up with you or you end a relationship or something, it's, it's like, is it okay to just be like cast aside? Like, that's okay. You know? Right. It's like, right. It's like outrage, really. Yes. Yeah. And then I think like she gets a little older and she has like a bigger breakup, a more real breakup where it was a more serious relationship and and it's that pattern repeating and yeah, that yeah, outraged. Yeah, well said. Yeah. yeah. Right. Any breakups you've been outraged about? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, editor would always, when she was editing the scone story, she was always writing when you, instead of the narrator, she said you. <laughs> I guess you can tell, I guess I, I said, I guess I'm going to come clean about this. Like the scones are stranger than fiction. Like the story is not true, but like the heart-shaped breakup scones are uh, all too real. I could not have made up a detail like that. <laughs> needs to be used. <laughs> did, did that particular person, uh, has that person reappeared on your book tour or in your life in any way? No. Yes. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Well, you never know. Never know. <laughs> never know. Okay, we can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe, but we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life 360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose a hundred times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. 
Life 360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life 360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. So funny. So you referenced earlier, you might be trying to write a novel. Is that true? How is that going? What's it about? What's the roadblock? Spill it. It's I'm into it now, but it took a while to get there. It's been... I always kind of had the idea that I would want to write a novel after writing this collection, but I didn't totally anticipate though I should have how much like publishing stories would kind of come with this. Like there is an idea that comes, was communicated to me very clearly, like the, your publisher will want a novel next for sure. And uh, there was a version of it that I wrote. We, that, because there was a point when we thought we might try to do a two book deal. And I was like furiously writing this, not like we're going to do like a partial novel. And I was like furiously writing it. And then thankfully, like, (laughs) and correctly, they were like, we just want these stories. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that's for the best. And then that kind of gave me permission to put that novel down for a while and think about like, I had felt so, I was doing it so much from a place of like, these stories won't, what if these stories won't be able to exist in the world without like a finished novel next to them? So, you know, there was a lot of like fear and anxiety in it and, and putting it down and just like letting myself for a while be like, what? what do I, like, why do I artistically really, what do I want to do with a novel? And what did I get to do in stories that I feel is like missing from, from writing a novel? So I realized that I had been kind of trying to, it was almost felt like I was trying to stretch out one short story. And so much of what I'm interested in, in the story collection is like being concise, being precise, the way like little memories in like paragraph form can be juxtaposed against each other and how that creates momentum. And and just like the way I was writing a novel didn't really make any room for that. Felt very baggy and full of like just extraneous writing. And so I have like a new form now where the chapters kind of operate internally more like the stories in this book, but then the way they are in relationship to each other accumulates like a novel. And I also realized that um, I have been trying to write more about like being in, being in this time of life in your twenties and, you know, part of the urgency of that for me in those years was like, I was living those years and feeling a lot of feelings and having a lot of questions about how to be in the world that I, you know, was working through by, by writing stories. And I think I was like, oh, I, I have to like make these characters, I have to make them older. They need to be like, it need, for me to feel that again, like they have to be where I am now, which is I'm in my thirties and, you know, the questions are different. And so, yeah, that's, that. and it, it's about Helen. It's about the Helen and her siblings who appear in several of the stories. It's about them. Wow. That's exciting. And what is it like living in Amsterdam? I was just there for a wedding and it's beautiful. And I was trying to imagine what it would be like to live there. Like, who are the people living these houses? What is this like? So what part of Amsterdam are you in and what is it like? Uh, I live in the east part of the city and it's a neighborhood called, it's an American, I would pronounce it Watergrafsmeer, but it's Watergrafsmeer. And it's cool. It's a part of the city that used to be centuries ago, like it, when it took a long time to much longer to travel, it was like actually like a town outside the city where people went in the summer. Now it's very much part of Amsterdam and I can sort of bike into the middle in, in 20 minutes or so. Um, but it had, because of that, it has this kind of quiet feeling that's really nice. And I love living there. I think the experience of just landing somewhere new and figuring it out and all its little details is so, it like brings the world alive to you in a way that I think for art is so productive. And so it's like, you're in the grocery store and like brands of toothpaste are like, 
really interesting and fascinating and different in a way that they just wouldn't be at home. And, and so I, yeah, I'm really loving it. And it's been, yeah. And I, uh, to meet people there, I signed up for, there's like a big, uh, some people from like the Chicago improv community 30 years ago, went to Amsterdam and started an improv theater. So I joined like an improv class, like the week I got there and I've been doing it since then. And that's been really a really cool way to meet people who are in different ways, creative, some writers, but some not and some professionally creative, but some like do something totally different professionally. And but I think for writing, it's been very fruitful because it's like, it's very collaborative in a way I love, but I think it's like the same, same muscles of kind of like, just make something up and see what happens and try to make sense of it as you go and see what it's offering you that you can use. What can you do with that? And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's been cool. I made a point to go to the grocery store in Amsterdam when I love going to grocery stores anywhere I go and like seeing like, what are all the different things? And yeah, we had the best time. Of course, my kids ended up getting like M&Ms or something like ridiculously <laughs> but we got a few new snacks. We were just in Tokyo. We got the best snacks there. I don't know. You just never know what the local stuff is. And I agree. Looking at things in a new way makes all the regular things have a new hue to them. Like something like I'm that. like being in the world and noticing something where you're like, they have this tradition that... It was like around the end of the school year, we were seeing like people would have put the Dutch flag out with a backpack on the end of it. And, you know, we're just like walking around and seeing it everywhere. And just me and my partner just saying to each other, like, what do you think this is about? And trying to guess. And like, I don't know, I, my instinct, I think as an American, I was like, is it a protest? Are they like protesting something? And it was like, it's what they do if a senior graduates from high school or whatever the equivalent of a senior is, they get to put their backpack on the flagpole. And then like, neighborhood knows they finished their exams. And it was just like stuff like that, where... Uh, something you would never have heard about except that like you're walking down the street and you you come face to face with it. It's really fun. Now look, now we've all heard about it. So how cool is that? <laughs> uh, what advice do you have for aspiring authors? Mm, I would say make writer friends, be fr- you know, the people that you meet through writing, like stay close with them and keep reading each other's work. Um, those relationships have been both emotionally and professionally very important for me in bringing this book into the world. And I would also say for me, submitting these stories to literary journals along the way was like such a like as much as you can like put your work in front of an editor have a conversation about it incorporate edits think about it more and that it's you know it's both you become a better writer but also like every single one of these that I published a lot over the years like it was just like a little burst of encouragement to keep going and I really think like when I think about if I had been writing a novel and I was just sort of you know had you know a novel you can't necessarily break into pieces that way and have that experience so I definitely feel very grateful that that was part of my process of writing this book. And I definitely recommend like pursuing that kind of thing in any way, in any way possible. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming on. It was so fun to chat with you. Congrats. And yeah, I'll be following along. Can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 